the future. So cool, right? All of those amazing new innovations that are going to make life even better. Like, wouldn't it be great to have a car that changes color to match your mood? Oh, wait, even better, your outfit. Buick is thinking about the future every single day. A future built around you with super smart Buick EVs that can make your life even better. And it's all out there waiting. So let's go to the future together. Join us at buick.com slash future. Hello. Well, if you've come back, well done. And if you're a first time listener and you like what you hear, just subscribe because we can make this a regular thing, baby. This episode is one of my favourite guests on any chat show ever. Ever. But that's not surprising because both her and her sister were one of my teenage obsessions. Now, I know that sounds really, really stalkerish, doesn't it? And I want to assure you, I haven't just got one of the neighbours round. That was a clue. And so's this. You tracked me down, Droid. You're a super sleuth on the net. Have you guessed who it is? Here's the crappy music. Hello, you are very welcome. I've always been fascinated by what people do after the limelight fades. And if, like me, you love a good where are they now story, today you're in for a treat. I recently caught up with one of my favourite stars from the 90s. Gillian Blakeney and her twin sister Gail broke hearts on Ramsey Street, but before that they were child stars in Australia. After Neighbours, they released pop records, acted on stage in the UK, before quietly slipping away into the LA sunset. But as you'll hear from the interview, things got much more exciting for Gillian once she'd left fame behind. We all have these childhood heroes. They were the people that we rushed home from school to read about in magazines, to avoid a world of homework bullies and teachers. Of course, some people take it too far, and that's why you have people with new kids on the block permanently tattooed on their back, or children called Kylie and Jason. But what happens when you meet your teen idol? Can it ever really live up to the expectations of your teenage self? And is the magic gone? So in order to get ready for my interview with Gillian, I spoke to Kathleen O'Rourke, who had met her teen idol, George Clooney, when they were both nominated for Oscars. Of course, me and Gillian aren't nominated for anything, but I just thought it would help. She didn't win an Oscar, but she got a cuddle from George Clooney, and that's what counts. It's Oscar-nominated writer Kathleen O'Rourke. Woo! Did I give myself red? Just felt right. right. Your introduction was so good. Did you like it? Yeah, it was irresistible. I had to plod. (laughs) Now you are an Oscar-nominated writer. Sorry. An Oscar. Say that again. Oh, oh, (laughs) sorry. I thought I got it wrong. I just want to hear it. No. Oscar winning writer, Oscar win, no, Oscar, Oscar nominated. Yeah. <laughs> do, do people say that? <laughs> oh, you didn't win, did you, oh, you did, oh. oh, I thought, you, I thought, no, oh, you, it was just a nomination. Well, that's just as good. Oh, well, well done. <laughs> who did win, actually? I don't, are you asking me? You yeah. can, I, I thought you were mocking people who would ask such an awful question. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I believe an awful it question. was, <laughs> I believe it was, um, 
uh, it was a short film. I saw it. This is awful. I actually can't remember the name Look, of it. If it wasn't Disney, who cares? Exactly. Who cares? It wasn't any good. They got uh, they got fleeced. <laughs> they were in trouble legally because they used loads of branding illegally in the film. Brilliant. So it was more of a curse than a blessing that they got the the <laughs> award in the end because it drew attention. Well, well done. Hard luck to them. Yeah, yeah indeed, yeah, indeed. Was deserved. But um, you won. You got the. Sorry now. <laughs> Listen, is this going to become a running thing? <laughs> Yeah, so for people that don't know, uh, Kathleen was nominated for writing, creating and voicing uh, Granny O'Grimm, which was uh, an animated short. Yeah, the film, technically the film was what was nominated, but yes, I wrote a, an Oscar nominated film um, and well, it was based on um, a sketch that I did as part of a cabaret show that I wrote in 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even finish the no, first time you no, did it. it was first draft, first draft, Kathleen. But um, yeah, so when I was very lucky, I got uh, somebody saw a, a friend of mine saw it and really loved it and saw animation potential in it, and uh, I finally emailed it to him about twenty four hours before the deadline for getting a grant <laughs> to fund it happening. So in spite of me, uh, it went on then to become very successful as a short film. So yeah, because of you, Kathleen. Because of you. Yes, of well, everything that thank you. <laughs> so when you got to go to the Oscars, the George Clooney thing, that was brought up a few times with you about how that you had to come back with a, a photograph of George Clooney or that, with George Clooney. Yeah, it was, or yeah, one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> um, I What happened was, I was interviewed by my local newspaper at home in Carlo. And, um, well, I started on the George Clooney thing myself. I was always talking about it and... Then, you know, the journalist said, well, you know, don't dare come home without a photo. And it was a joke at first, but sometimes over the phone, it became a little bit intimidating. It was, you know, (laughs) don't come home without a photo of you and George Clooney. So I got a bit nervous. But the thing was, I kind of felt that there were going to be maybe 13 or 14 photographs of me and George Clooney. George and me having cocktails, George and me laughing about some (laughs) school related teaching story, you know, because, you know, I'm a, a teacher as well. So... I thought there was going to be a whole load and I would just have to pick the best ones for some sort of album maybe afterwards or whatever. And then... Uh, the start of your relationship. Exactly. So yeah. I didn't think it was going to be, get a photo. I thought it was going to happen very naturally. Because you're all Oscar nominees. You're just going to be like just sitting around in an Oscar nominee club. Yeah, exactly. On a daily basis. There was well, there was this lunch that I was told about, which, I, you know, I think that's what put the idea in my head as well. There's the Oscar lunch, which I'd never heard of before, but it happens two weeks before the Oscars. And all the nominees are invited and they, they have this kind of equality thing that, you know, the celebrities are mixed among the plebs and that, you know, everyone is equal. So I was, um, I felt I was in with the fighting chance to maybe have a conversation with them, you know, that we'd all be hanging around. And So you're all split up from their normal parties and everyone's just put at random tables with each other? Um, the... Yeah, well, you know, you'd be put with, because I was sitting with, Nikki, so his name was on the nomination and then at my table there was uh, John Lasseter who's the founder of Pixar and his wife and the actress Anna Kendrick um, from she's in the Twilight films and uh, so you thought okay there's a good chance you could be sitting with George Clooney or everyone well, would, yeah, be, would like, be very casual once I found myself in the ladies toilets with Sandra Bullock and I could hear her peeing I was like I <laughs> am sure I'm in with a chance <laughs> and you didn't if speak to Sandra anything Bullock anything is possible no I just listened just <laughs> <laughs> And um, so, but you've been telling people over there, like you were making it known 
that you and oh you yeah and George, joined the meal it had yeah to happen at some point. that's right because yeah. um well it was just something to say you know because we were all sitting there at this table so it was just an icebreaker I suppose you know um kind of just making a joke about it that you know I had been warned by the Carlo people it was just so strange <laughs> to so be in that sounds so to be <laughs> to be uh, yeah. quoting the Carlo people's passive aggressive yeah. <laughs> editor in um, in, in Hollywood basically yeah. and and you know to be talking to John Lasseter who I started to realize was really he was considered a real hero there you know people really kind of and there was something just a buzz about talking about the Carlo people to someone who's so huge and important and has so much power in the movie industry I just said oh yeah I was warned not to come back to Carlo without a photo of me and George Clooney now we were at table seven and George Clooney was at table eight so I didn't tell the story too okay. loudly yeah so no it was becoming more and more possible and another Irish lady was there as well and we had become friends and she was sitting right beside him so you know all oh. the indicators were good but the thing was again so I was telling them this story just for something to say but again I just assumed that the photo would be given I didn't think it was going to be a big deal yeah so how it materialized then was that um John Lasseter who's this larger than life character you know he wears Hawaiian shirts apparently he's the biggest Hawaiian shirt collection in the world and you know he's just this real yeah just very what's the word exuberant person. yeah, yeah. And, and lovely very warm and all the rest so he um he was really looking out for me. I wasn't aware how much he was looking out for me. But at some point, George Clooney obviously decided to take some kind of break from the lunch, you know, whether it was to go to the bar or the toilet. It's none of my business. But John Laster obviously was terrified that he was leaving. So he just let a roar at me. Kathleen, oh my God, he's leaving. Come on, it's your chance. Go for it. Go, go. <laughs> and the worst thing was, yeah, there's something about him. You know, he does have this presence John has. So I just all my instincts just, just kicked into gear baby. yeah and I just jumped up from the table in an utter panic and just spotted Nikki's camera grabbed it and found myself making a run at George Clooney's table <laughs> before I knew what was happening and then as I was nearing the table and I mean the distance was so short but in my memory I, everything slows down because I remember the moment of realisation that this was a really inappropriate way to behave <laughs> in a room full of celebrities and I'd spend so much on looking glamorous and it was all suddenly falling apart so I stopped luckily <laughs> just before I got there I was like How, what am I going to do and I turned around slowly and I could see the table where I was coming from and looked or scanned all the faces and everybody like in slow motion even now were kind of waving their hands at me going no don't do it but in the meantime John Lasseter was pointing at the table like something in Vietnam, you know, going, what are you waiting for? Go, go, he's leaving. But luckily, and then this girl, Anna Kendrick, who's just a lovely person anyway, we've been chatting during the meal, just said, sit down, Kathleen. And then my eyes went from her over to the left where there were three big security guards standing with their arms folded, looking at me, just waiting to see what would happen. So I <laughs> you were going thought, to I best them. take Anna's <laughs> advice. <laughs> right, I will, I will sit down. And it was just, I didn't know how it had happened, you know. So in the end, she had said to me, all right, before that, that big outburst, Anna Kendrick had said, she was, she was his co-star in Up. I think she was nominated possibly, um, I think she was a nominee for supporting actress for the very film. Wow, so good company anyway. So she knew him well, yeah. And she said, um, 
you know, oh, I can arrange that for you, Kathleen. But when she had said it, I was thinking, I don't need you organising some <laughs> set up photo. I'm going to be sitting around having cocktails. I'm going to marry him. him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cough that out. <laughs> but ruin it on me. So then, you know, I wasn't very grateful, even though I, I pretended to be, but I didn't think I would need her help. But after that particular incident, I needed all the help I could get, really, you know. And uh, so she very tactfully and... Uh, dig in a very dignified way approached George after the lunch was over and just went over gave him a big hug had a little chat with him and then I could kind of say oh there's a girl over there you know and he said oh no problem but apparently he's not usually so open oh like, really yeah so it is quite a big deal to get one so so he would just say or did he say no apparently that's what I was told that it was a wow. bit of a coup like. and that would have been horrible oh it Imagine if you imagine if when you had jumped you had actually grabbed him. <laughs> <laughs> if you had ropey tagged him to the ground. I no, I got so frighteningly <laughs> close. Just a selfie of yeah. you with George in a uh, Yeah, that that was the thing. I was like, you know, I you know, all the great attention I was getting at home in Carlo and all the attention my parents were getting and I was thinking, you know, that's not the sort of front cover photo that's going to make anybody proud of me you know I just <laughs> it terrifies me how close I can you know the payoff is this is it's like one in the eye for all the people over the years you know, yeah. you know you don't, <laughs> I don't want them thinking <laughs> when I, yes I, I escaped it by the skin of my teeth oh yeah when I met George as well uh, he I was, love that you just called when him when I met George <laughs> that time um, he said because uh, he made a joke then you know when he put his arm around me and everything for the photo but he made a joke. He said, um, I thought you would have wanted to sit at the A-list table. Didn't you want to sit at the A-list table with all the celebrities? And I didn't really get it, to be honest. I had no idea what he was going on about. But I laughed really loudly anyway and just pretended to get <laughs> right it. Into <laughs> <space>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I had a weird moment of, because I know I felt a bit... I felt a bit bad that I was kind of being one of those people who puts them under pressure to do photos. I had a moment of, oh, poor George. Anyway, but I don't look too uh, worried about it in the photo. Yeah, I'm sure he was delighted. I, I mean, uh, you're you're a writer, so like you, you potentially, that was a good networking for him. Well, this is it. This yeah. is it. So, um, uh, but, and the photo came out really well. Kept it on Facebook for a good few years afterwards. Was he like a, a childhood hero or was he just, you know, oh, George Clooney, uh, this will be one in the eye for all those people. Oh, no, I just, it was him more than anybody because there were other, I suppose there were other actors there as well who were probably, they Famous were more popular at the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, but I just always had such a thing for George Clooney ever since he are, you know, and I just, oh my God, I fancied him so much. And, and did it live up to, like, did it live up to what you had expected? Hmm. Like, say it hadn't been in undignified security. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Putting that aside, you know, it did because just the sense of magic that it actually materialised. And also, yeah. he was every bit as attractive in person as he is on the screen. He has such a magnetism about him. Like, everyone in the room was around him, obviously because he just has that status. He was surrounded by men, strangely enough. Um, but um, you couldn't get near him. <laughs> but... Um, he, oh, uh, this story's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> this has gone so bad. Very <laughs> well, thank God things worked out for Kathleen. It's an amazing achievement to be nominated for an Oscar, but can you imagine getting shot at the Oscar lunch? Her mother would never live it down. If you turn on a TV or open a magazine, you can't help but be reminded that in order to live life to its fullest, apparently you need to be famous. It's a sad fact that fame is painted as this glamorous yellow brick road to all your dreams coming true. 
My next guest was famous from childhood, but got a taste of anonymity and the 9 to 5 and loved it. The early 90s was a time of Sega Mega Drives, snorkel jackets and smash hits. Jenga had arrived and the neighbours and home and away war waged on. After years of singing and television presenting, Gillian Blakeney and her identical twin sister Gail were already well known in Australia and Asia. They joined the cast of Neighbours at the height of its hysteria and the rest is history. After Neighbours, they moved to the UK where they were constantly on television and on the covers of magazines. They followed in the footsteps of Kylie Minogue by signing a record deal and recording with the legendary Stock Aiken and Waterman. They fronted a huge Head and Shoulders campaign. Pop duo Gail and Gillian use Head and Shoulders. Obviously, out Before guest starring in Silk Stockings, a popular American detective series at the time. They liked America so much, they stayed. Recently I got to chat to Gillian Blakeney on the phone and I found out that what happened after all of that craziness was just as fascinating. It's said on average we now change career five to seven times during our working life. Well, this guest has done this and then some. Her childhood and early working life were spent in the entertainment industry as a television actress, a presenter and a singer. Since then, she has become vice president of national sales for a vitamin company. Along with her sister, she ran a successful toy company for four years before a chance meeting in a subway led her to starting a luxury scarf label, Lee and Luca, which is now worn by the likes of Madonna. So how is that for a name drop? Gillian Lee, how is life? <laughs> yeah, I sound like I'm all over the playing field with my career, because I am. It's, yes. yes, my latest incarnation is Gillian Lee. Straight away, there's going to be people listening to your voice because it's very recognisable. Going, hold on a second. So we need to explain who Gillian Lee, uh, fashion, fa- are you a fashion supremo? Is, is okay, that- I like the sound of that. I'll take that. Oh, yes. They, they probably know the voice, but don't know who the heck Gillian Lee is. Gillian, sure. Gillian Lee is actually Gillian Blakeney, who was also, in a former life, Carolina Lessie. Oh, goodness. Yes, <laughs> it's going back. That is taking you back. We'll get back to your early life in, in a moment, but life at the moment for you is very exciting because you are the co-owner and creator of the Lee and Luca luxury scarf label, which is doing great things in America. Yes been a very interesting ride and one a very enjoyable one at the same time. That all began with a story where you, you met your business partner on a New York subway. I did indeed. We, I had just moved to New York and I would say maybe the second day I was riding the subway, the Express City Hall downtown and I spotted this woman and she spotted me and we just happened to have the same handbag and uh, I liked her scarf, she liked, I had a vintage a Louis Vuitton scarf on and she came over to talk to me about it and one thing led to another and we ended up starting our own scarf company together which you know I, I, all I can say it's one of those uh, destiny connections because it happened organically it, we get along like a house on fire we laugh 90% of the day together amazing and we just the entire process has felt like a natural ride you know it's it's been it's really been a blast we have our moments Absolutely, like <laughs> like any business sun, partner. Sunshine, yeah. Well, also because we're complete opposites, so it's kind of, you know, Oscar and Felix, the odd couple at, at times. Yeah. But, uh, you know, no, it's really good, most enjoyable. How do you go from chatting about scarves on, on, on a bus to it actually becoming a, a real business entity and your, and your livelihood? Ah, we did it blind. We just, well, li- living in New York... You're at the epicenter of one of the world's fashion capitals, and there's buying offices for major retailers are in New York City. 
And I, I guess it was a naive approach in hindsight, but it's one that worked. We created a sample collection and I went <laughs> to Barney's, New York, uh, to their corporate office, and I literally gave the body, the, not the bodyguard, the security guard, $50 and said, can you get this package to whoever buys scarves? Now, don't just give it to who you think buys scarves. It has to be the scarf buyer. We clicked. That and it's incredible. And she, and she emailed me that night and said, I'm actually at the airport flying to Paris, but I, I've got to have this collection in my store. So that was a bit of a happy heart attack, I have to say. You know, that's basically how the other two major stores started. And then we got our act together and got a showroom and we started doing all the trade shows. You know, now it's um, all systems go, well-oiled machine. And how many was in a sample collection? Well, we started out with, I think, maybe 12 scarves. Now we do around 70 to 80 per season. Often we cull that collection down to 60 to go into production. We sort of see what sticks and what doesn't uh, by the time we've finished the buying season. So it is a massive collection. We started out with one fabric blend and one art process. Now we've gone and made life very difficult for ourselves, and we're doing five blends, and we're doing numerous uh, printing techniques all by hand. So it's certainly no easy feat to, to pull off this collection. They're all numbered limited edition. You know, they're sort of heirloom pieces at this point. There's certainly nothing mass market about it. You do two collections a year, is that right? Mm, actually, we do four. We Whoa. do spring, summer <laughs> is one. We do pre-fall and we do fall, winter. And then we do a holiday resort collection. And the holiday resort collection and the pre-fall, they're tiny collections. They're sort of in and out collections. Wow. The main ones... The main one for us, obviously, is full, being that it's a scarf. But I, I do have to say, we're having uh, nice spring collections because people use them as sarongs. Wow. I should say, I know nothing about fashion. Absolutely nothing. And if this wasn't a radio interview, that would be very apparent. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I didn't know anything and I'm still, I'm still learning and I love learning about this business. I'm not, a, you know, I'm not someone who is really into labels at all or, you know, being but, seen with the right bag. I just love what I do, and I'm creating something with my friend that wasn't in the marketplace and still really isn't in the marketplace, and it's sort of, you know, the more sort of unique scarf brand. And also, I, I'm not someone who wears particularly bright colours. I would more say I describe myself as more tonal in my ready-to-wear, but that's where the scarf comes in. It has a little bit of a pop of colour, a little bit of personality. And what was it about just one item? You know, for a fashion designer or for fashion companies, you know, they deal in jackets. And now I'm showing my fashion ignorance, but <laughs> jackets and trousers <laughs> and, and other... other. My friend who I met on the subway platform, Susan Luca, who's my business partner, she has 20 years design behind her. I'm the sales side of things. I'm the shaker mover, get it out there in the marketplace. That's why we're a good team. Now we design together. But really, it was her idea to do a scarf collection. She had been in the ready-to-wear design business for 20 years and she was burnt out because it's an enormous amount of work so I guess in her head she just thought oh I wish I could just do scarves one day because it's just a square and a rectangle there is no seams no patterns no you know it's just really so she sort of did it to free her mind about oh wouldn't life be simple well she only complicated her life further but in a good way <laughs> successful complications yeah it's a positive complication and and it is worth noting just for for anyone that's listening here men don't uh, don't feel excluded here because i have myself a leon luca black matrix and it is ah, uh, <laughs> it is one yeah. of the uh, one of the very few fashionable items that i own that's not a super dry t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I've watched the video on the website and it's amazing. There, there's six different styles you can wear them in and I think my one is the Jesse James. I think that's the one. It is. That's... But I actually like the Josh too for men. The Josh style. And if you don't know what we're talking about, listeners, you can go on leeluka.com and you will see this video and all will become clear once you buy yourself a nice present. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> now, we spoke a little bit about it earlier. I always think that you and your sister Gail had the most elegant exit from the entertainment industry that I think I've ever seen. <laughs> because it was oh, a case I like of, the sound of that. How was it elegant? Well, it, it was elegant because you were on all of the shows. Like we're recording from Ireland, so uh, we would get the UK shows. But you were kind of on everything, and then I remember reading an article, and you were saying that you were moving to LA, and you'd got a, a part in a detective series. So it was like you went out on a high, and then it was like we've never heard of them again. What happened? Yes, we sort of just disappeared in 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 normal lives. And I do have to say, when we we came to America. It was hilarious. My sister and I would say, isn't, isn't it amazing to be somewhere and no one knows who the heck we are? And Gail said, I could tell someone to go to hell. And they, they wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't get into trouble. <laughs> That's brilliant. Because so, so it, it like we were like children singers um, in Australia. So our entire life, we were recognisable. So it was such a treat to come to an English-speaking country where no one gave two hoots about who you are, who you were, or recognised you. It was kind of liberating, I have to say. Because you, from from childhood, you were presenters on Wombat in Australia, which was a, a big national children's television program. And from that, you went straight into Neighbours at the height of the Neighbours craziness. Actually, and even before Wombat, even when we were ten and eleven, we were singers um, on a show called Happy Go Round, and we would sing at charity things on TV. So. It actually goes back to 10, really. When you moved to the UK, you launched your pop career, which yes. I have to say, I was a massive fan. I was a big Who fan. Knew? But I was just wondering uh, if you were aware of this, and that is that your the, the single you did with Stock Aiken and Waterman, um, yes. CD copies of that sell on eBay for up to 500 UK pounds. Were you aware of that? What? Yes. Goodness, I had no idea. Yeah, and actually only that... I had some to sell. I know. <laughs> and, uh, I'm not one to keep to keep things. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a very I'm spring clean and I should have perhaps kept a couple of those. But yeah, the, and uh, that's funny to hear that, I have to say. One sold actually two weeks ago. Just two weeks ago, a copy of it sold for £200. So uh, I think who that... Would be, who would be prepared to pay this exorbitant amount of money? Um, my CD. <laughs> I, I, and especially considering they're all on iTunes. That's the, <laughs> that's the yes, crazy. I know. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, there are still fans out there. So I think uh, if, you, if you're planning another business move, I definitely think that bringing out your back catalogue, <laughs> bringing out your oh, back catalogue and selling funny. signed copies, <laughs> you could be in the money. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. All right, well, if I hit hard times, I'll keep that in my back pocket. Yeah, absolutely. Have have my, my older sister keeps everything, so I'll shoot her an email tonight. Karen, how many of those... Of all mixed up. <laughs> do you have? Eight of them? Ka-ching, ka-ching. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you commission. Gillian's going on a big holiday. I, had this... I just went on a big holiday. This is funny. Get this. I take my daughter to Hawaii, to the Disney Resort, no less, and I spend a small fortune for the week. Yeah. And I say to her, flying back, uh, I mean, I really just went all out, a really, like, first-class vacation, just just fabulous. And I turn to her and ask, well, what, what was the highlight? What, what, what do you think was the best part of the vacation? Was it, you know, uh, 
the luau was at Disney with the dinner with Mickey. All of these, the whole host of things that I'd arranged. Oh, wow. And she turns to me and says, oh, mom, definitely walking on the bottom of the pool while holding a gigantic rock. We went to visit some friends while I was there, and we stayed for afternoon tea, and she swam in their pool. And evidently, uh, the, the game of the day was the kids picking up rocks and just walking, walking That's on amazing. the bottom of the pool. And that was the highlight. That was it. Well, uh, next holiday is going to be a cheap one for you. <laughs> next year, then we're going to go home and do that every day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Only kids, right? Oh. Yeah, that's oh, that's yeah. It's definitely you. You could um, save up. Don't go on holidays anymore. Just get yourself a little pool <laughs> and a pile of rocks. I do. No, no, I mean, we had one, so I didn't need to go anywhere. Oh wow! Just needed to to go and find a bloody big rock. <laughs> <laughs> and you went all the way to Disneyland to find one. I know. Oh, oh goodness! There was one or two questions that I did find online that people were asking, so I'm just going to ask uh-huh. them. They're very right. quick. One was a. Uh, was there ever a Gail and Gillian album? Did you? Uh, did you? Ha- no. no, I think we did three songs. I think we had three singles out. There's none in some record company safe. Oh <laughs> no, I'm sure that we did. I'm sure we have enough songs that we rec- recorded to make one. I, I, maybe not quite, but I know that was the goal. It just didn't ever get there. We did Mad If You Don't. We made Wanna Be Your Lover, the Prince cover, and then obviously that first Doc Aiken and Waterman uh, song. So. They were the three, I guess, published, but you're right. Um, and they were the flip sides. Uh, you actually wrote, Mad If You Don't. People... I, wrote, I actually wrote, I think, three or four four songs, and we recorded those, but you're right. Where are they? Oh, I don't know. Um, and what were your best memories and worst memories from that time? Because that, like, that was an interesting time in pop culture. Music has gone online now, and pop culture is online, really. I mean, people don't buy magazines anymore. Oh, yeah, it's a totally different playing field now. Well, just the whole experience of recording and being in London was thrilling. I mean, you know, certainly coming from Australia and, and getting to travel around England, Ireland, Scotland was, uh, was absolutely brilliant. When you moved to L.A. after you did the detective show, that was when you began, you moved away from the entertainment industry. Well, yeah, well, what happened was we, um, Gail came to L.A. to visit a friend and I was heading back to Australia. She said, no, 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 come via L.A. I was heading back to Australia just to get back into acting there. And I came here and I met someone and it was, I guess, love at first sight and I was with him for years and stayed here. And uh, I really didn't intend to get back into acting. It's just that a lead from England, some acting lead from England, they, they wanted twins for something. So we didn't really, I wouldn't say we beca- came here to do acting. We just did a detective episode, not a series. It was a TV series and we, we were brought in for one episode. And it was an interesting experience. But truthfully, uh, when, I, when I got here, I'd already made the decision. I just, you know, wanted to to start a whole new career path, which wow. I did. I started in a vitamin company, and and, uh, and I loved it. I loved being in... I actually really loved just being in sales in, in, and building a company uh, with someone. It was, it was very exciting, and it, it took me all over America, and it, the company grew very quickly, so it was uh, exciting, you know? Wow, so because that wasn't an opportunity you'd had before, like you, because you'd been a child star, you you hadn't you, you hadn't you haven't really worked in the the normal arena that I suppose everyone else Not at had. All. And it was, you know, it, it sounds probably 
odd to people, but it, I actually got excited clocking in. Wow. <laughs> oh, I have a time card. Oh, it just goes in here. Okay. <laughs> wow. And, and, sitting at a, and sitting at the conference table in serious meetings, I, I was a fish out of water, but I loved it. And as it turns out, I didn't know this about myself, but I could sell sand you know, back to Saudi Arabia. I could sell anything to anybody. And it, and it served me well getting a normal job in the normal world. That's an amazing thing to discover about yourself after such a different career. Yes, yes. I, and I, and, I, I, and I, I felt very fulfilled by it. And, and that's why I love having my own company now, because I guess... I uh, I just have an entrepreneurial. Do, does it make you a workaholic? Like, do do you? Does it make you <laughs> like serious I mean, ambition? I, I, get, I, have, I get both. Gal and I have. Oh, it's just the way we were raised: strong work ethics and enormous amount of energy. Like, we think something has to get done. It, it don't, we don't put it on the back burner. Bang! It's done. It's just who we are. Our friends call us the hummingbirds, and we really just don't stop. <laughs> I, I, um, sometimes I think, well, I should have kept my big toe in acting because it's such a wonderful creative outlet. But I don't know. I think, truthfully, I was a bit down, as you would be if you could, you know, we really, music mm, was the sure. first love before acting. Music was there before. And so when it didn't succeed, you sort of feel a little deflated. And uh, I don't know. I'm really glad how things turned out. I really... Uh, I, I mean, it would have been nice to do a little bit of acting here and there, but it's a hard, it's a hard thing. In, in, in L.A., you're going out on audition after audition, and, um, you know, it's really not easy. It's set, people who aren't in the business think it's glamorous, but it's an enormous amount of work. You know, and I, I don't know, I guess it, was my, it, was, it felt right to me. I felt more authentic as a person in this new career path, and uh, it's, it probably may not make sense to people, but it, for me, it's, um, I, I like running companies and building brands. Well, your success speaks for itself. It was obviously the direction that you were supposed to go in. You were vice president of a, a vitamin company, and then, I think this is such a bizarre move, you and Gail took over a toy company and made a huge success of it for four years. What, what yes, led you to toys? I know, it's so funny, and, and it's, it's so funny. We... I think because we had that toy, that kids show, Wombat, we're just, you know, we're just sort of very childish by nature. And so the toy thing, uh, again, was just, I met someone at a party who was in the toy business and I said, have you thought about doing that? And he goes, no, but that's a great idea. And I said, well, how about we do it? Let's just make it happen. (laughs) The hummingbird at work. (laughs) Yes, yes. Results-oriented hummingbirds. (laughs) Yeah, that was fun. And then we basically stopped working because... We both happened to be pregnant at the same time. And I said, I don't know about you, Gail, but I just want to throw the towel in for a minute and just mm. stop. Wow. And we basically became professional belly buddies, pregnant <laughs> belly buddies together. And, oh, my God, I've never laughed so much in all my life. It was so much fun. We did not plan to be pregnant together. It was just a happy accident. And wow. we would go swimming every day. And we would, you know, cook new recipes together for our husbands. Oh, it was so much fun. Domestic really bliss. <laughs> when you took over that toy company, it was a pre-existing company, wasn't it? It was there. Yes, it was. Yes. And and they were sort of uh, lagging in sales. And so we sort of uh, took it in a, in a new direction and got some... Oh, <laughs> we, I actually, believe it or not, I was uh, at the Grammys party and I met Sharon Osborne and she had told me... And, the, and Kelly and Jack at the time knew who I was, uh, which surprised me because I didn't know who the heck they were. This is just before their show was oh, going on yes, air here yeah, on MTV. Yeah. And they were recording and 
Uh, it's a long story, but we got ch- chatting. I had a pet chicken, and the police were telling me, you can't have this. It was in Beverly Hills. You can't have this pet chicken. It's against the law. And it was sending this dog crazy. Every time he'd crow in the morning, it would send this pit bull absolutely crazy, and the owner would call the police, and I would deny, I don't have a chicken. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, of course, I had a chicken, right? And he didn't know how to Amazing. cock-a-doodle-doo. I had to teach him how to cock-a-doodle-doo. He had not, didn't have a clue. He'd go, happened in my front hedge one day and I thought, oh, you're, you're right, I'll get you something to eat, just stay right there. And he stayed. <laughs> anyway, the Osbournes wanted him. Jack's like, I, I'll take him because they knew I was going to take take the chicken and take it to a farm. And Shannon goes, don't you dare give it to him, it'll be eaten by Lola or some one of the dogs or something. But what came out of that meeting was that they were doing this show. So as soon as it came on air, I got in contact with their office and said, I want to make talking Os- Osborne bobbleheads because I was in the oh toy business. And I said, I have to make these. I have to. And I got the license and we sold a ton of those talking bobbleheads. They're probably selling on eBay for 500 quid now. Oh my. <laughs> I should check. <laughs> That's an incredible story. That is funny, unbelievable. Right? That is amazing. So funny. Wow. So funny. That, well, I mean, I think we're coming to the end of the interview, but what a way to go out. <laughs> that was... Yeah, it was fun, I have to say. It's, um... And do you think, because everything's been so diverse and you've done so many different things, do you think, is there anything you haven't tapped now? Is there anything you kind of go, well, I've done this, this and this, but there's, I really want to do this and I haven't done any of it? I have an idea for a new business and I'm going to do that in the future. It's got nothing to do with fashion. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's... Because um, I'll rob us, Gillian. It's a whole new, a whole <laughs> new concept in, in something and that's been marinating now for a few months. So I guess the point is I just can't sit still for very long. You know, I'm gypsy at heart with my career. That's, easily bored. That's brilliant. This has been so exciting. I mean... <laughs> You think? <laughs> Absolutely I amazing. I think I'm a very settled person. <laughs> no, not not from where I'm sitting, my dear. My goodness. The because uh, I I I do I have a bone. I do have a bone to pick. I uh, yeah. When when your single came out, when Wanna Be a Lover came out, there was a competition that uh, I don't know what age I was, but I know I was young enough to be asking my mother for money for stamps, and I'd say I entered it about. 25 times <laughs> to go to Paris to meet you and Gail uh, I, oh. did, I didn't win <laughs> but um, I, I, I don't even remember going to Paris to meet anyone so perhaps no one won uh, <laughs> I don't, I'm having a senior moment I don't remember that well really I'll don't. see you in court I, <laughs> I will see you in court <laughs> uh, who was it for was it for like a, a store or um, like, no it was on the back of your the back of your single well, then obviously we did. We must have. <laughs> but I went to Paris so many times. Everything's it, it, a little bit of a blur, to be well, honest. Well, I didn't win, but I have to say, this has been much better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're one of my favourite people, Drew, and I'm so excited about everything you've got going on right now. This is great. Oh, it's cool. Well, this, this, is, this has just been fantastic. It's brilliant. And I will definitely be out to LA soon, and I will definitely buy you a glass of wine. <laughs> we'll pretend it's Paris. <laughs> Oh, we're going to have a night out and have a riot. There's no question. Absolutely. No question. Oh, well, Gillian, thank you so much for being here. It's been incredible. <laughs> well, thank you. And uh, if you 
if you hang up the phone and you still have questions, you know where to find me. <laughs> oh, I do. I do indeed. I have your number now. You'll never get rid of me. You do. You have my cell and my landline. Oh, I'm just, you know, there you go. You can be, you become my stalker if you like. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll see you in 20 minutes outside going through your bins. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, great talking to you. And I will talk to you again. Yes, absolutely. And loads of love to Gail. Oh, will do. I'll pass that along. All right. Take care. Thank you so much, Gillian. Bye-bye. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I finished that interview and I thought to myself, you know what, Garode, you were right. She is brilliant. I have to say I was more than a bit starstruck by the end of that. Myself and Kathleen were talking about it afterwards. How amazing would it be to meet a business partner like that one day just randomly on the bus? And then they kept it so simple and, you know, that it was a rectangular shape. It's so true. It's like, let's just do scarves now. And it really paid off. I think it does pay off to keep things simple, you know. It's one of those life lessons that you learn the complicated way. I also like the way that they just decided, we're going to make a scarf collection. Yeah. And we're just going to give it to somebody. (laughs) Whereas I, I'd be... Where are we going to get the stuff to make this scarf? Yeah. Well, when she was talking about it, it was like it just had this magic momentum. It's like it it had the same momentum as she seems to have where everything she touches does seem to turn to gold. Yeah. But I and was thinking, it's all timing as well because she just went and did it then. Oh, let's make some scarves. And then they were given the 50 euro to the security guard. And, you know, I was thinking, how come stuff like that doesn't happen for me? But I think what happens is maybe it's an Irish thing. I don't know. But you come up with your idea. <laughs> I love, I absolutely love that, that you I said blame. that. And previously we were talking about your Oscar nomination. No, yeah. <laughs> Nothing yeah. good ever happens to me. Nothing <laughs> ever works out. I only got one stupid George Clooney photo. I got nominated for an Oscar and all I got was this lousy George Clooney photo. But like, you know you have an idea and then it's it's about just doing it then, isn't it? Because in that lapse of like two days or whatever, where you're going, now what, how will I do that? And yeah. There's always going to be someone who's going to come along and throw a gigantic bucket of cold water. Yeah. You know, that they do, they won't like that. They won't like unsolicited visits. You know, you can't approach the security guard, you know? Yeah. And then they'll have a really convincing reason why you shouldn't. And then you don't do it. And then... Yeah. Do you know what is interesting as well? Is that she used to play a really successful businesswoman on oh. Neighbours. And then she has actually turned into one. You didn't watch Neighbours, did you? No. No, because those business meetings were hilarious. Every time there was a business meeting scene, it was always with Mr. Udagawa, (laughs) who was always played by a different Japanese actor. And I don't think he he ever had a line. It was just, they would always look very worried and go, oh, hello, Mr. Udagawa. And and he would just bow. And then they'd like look at each other terrified terrified. and that was business. at school like I used to always pretend that I fancied girls like with all the other boys like I don't know if anyone remembers these they were the twins from Neighbours does anyone remember these yeah some people do I love it when people remember them I used to love them like I'd bring this into school I go oh look at them boys (laughs) oh they're sexy aren't they boys oh the things I do to them boys (gasps) and then one day I had this kind of light bulb moment where I thought to myself what would I do to them (laughs) I think I straightened their hair for a start.
and another episode done. Well, this podcasting lark is a piece of cake. Thanks to the very lovely Gillian Blakeney for being here and also to Kathleen, I think. So is this the CD you were talking about? Oh yeah, that's all mixed up. That sells for £500 wow. on eBay. Would you mind if I borrow this actually? Yeah, no problem. I'll put it on your iPod before you go. Uh, no, that's, no. You know what, I'll, I'll actually, I'll just take the CD. I'll just take it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thanks yeah. a million euros. Just for Cheers. a round Yeah. Kathleen, um... Want a great way to recognize your employees? Check out Custom Inc. Have you ever thought about doing something special for your customers? Custom Inc. can do that too. And wouldn't your team love some custom gear? Custom Inc. is ready. Custom Inc. is your go-to custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. Plus, everything is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Check out what we can do for your business at custominc.com.